In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis of all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the gold dome. And I'm joined today by AJC political insider and longtime political columnist Jim Galloway to talk about the exciting end of this legislative session. And and Jim, you've covered a lot of legislative sessions, but I'm sure you've never seen Alyssa Milano uh, kind of uh, get grab the center of attention at the end of at the end of any of them, and uh, and I think that was in part because so many things were stalled and so much was not happening on the floor of the house. This was a it was, this was actually kind of a a quiet end uh, because uh, the 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 passage of the the heartbeat anti-abortion bill kind of took took all the air out of out of everybody. You got it. And that passed just a few days before the end of the session. And some other big priorities also had already passed. The elections overhaul was passed and, and actually signed into law on signy die. And um, the the medical waivers bill was also signed. Uh, it was also passed, I should say, before signy die. So the big questions really revolved around some still important, but not as high profile issues like medical marijuana, like the airport takeover. Med- yeah, medical marijuana, the airport takeover, HB 511, which would have allowed uh, local governments throughout Georgia, and especially in rural Georgia, to set up small transit systems. Uh, a lot of things died, and a lot of things are going to be coming back hard next, next year. Next year. Well, let's talk about what made it through first. I was really surprised at the medical marijuana bill, not because it's, it survived, but because it survived with a direct intervention from Governor Kemp. Um, he said on Sunday Day morning, and everyone else, everyone involved confirmed that he played a role in brokering a compromise between the House and Senate over legislation that would essentially allow the in-state cultivation and distribution of medical mar- marijuana. It was already legal in Georgia, but it was illegal to bring it to Georgia. So these families had to go to Colorado or other states where it was legal and violate federal law by crossing it, by bringing it across state lines. Right, and this went to a conference committee. The House wanted a, a, a lot more distribution points uh, than, than the Senate did. The Senate was a lot more, and, and, and as it has been in past years, it was a lot more conservative on the issue. In fact, uh, the governor's brother-in-law, Bill mm-hmm. Cowsert, was on the conference that conference committee, and uh, he, he, he wouldn't sign on to the final bill. He would not. He actually spoke from the well of the Senate and said that he has grave concerns about the bill, that it rips up the carefully crafted, in his words, legislation the Senate came up with, and that this would bring a slippery slope to uh, essentially end up legalizing recreational marijuana um, if this legislation goes forward. I talked to Governor Kemp about it. 
He will sign it. I've got every indication that he'll sign it. But he also said he was he was personally torn over the issue. Remember, during the campaign, he initially was against the expansion of medical marijuana, the, the legalization of distribution. He changed his mind. He said he wanted research-based expansion uh, during the runoff. But he's had some personal doubts about about this left. And, and look, this will be the, 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 something very important happened in that the, the compromise bill uh, it c- kind of directs the University of Georgia and Fort Valley State to, to do that research that you you spoke of, and I'll be I'll be really really interested in in how the University of Georgia responds to this. Yeah, and Fort Valley State's the other university, and it it is it give, basically gives them the option they may not right they may, they may not go through with the with their side of the proposal they're they're not bound to by any means from what i understand and also in the meantime there's this basically stopgap so before UGA and Fort Valley State can decide and before these independent dispensaries can pop up um, it also allows the state to go and obtain the cannabis oil on its own and therefore uh, presumably be shielded from any sort of federal uh, challenge because it's sovereign immunity. So you're not. So you're not uh, uh, depending on any any uh, crop maturing. Uh, there's no. There's no planting season here. There's no planting season. And also, you mentioned the dispensary debate about the, the number of dispensaries. What this basically sets up is a commission that decides how many to allow and puts it in a tiered system so that smaller growers and larger growers um, can also get in the game. So going to be really interesting to see how this evolves and also to see who profits. Uh, from this because there's going to be a lot of money to be made. And connected that with, with is, is hemp legislation. For the first time, farmers can can grow hemp in Georgia. And remember, that came up in the gubernatorial debate, too. The libertarian candidates, Ted Metz's main thrust was getting hemp, le- this kind of hemp production legalized, and now it looks like it will be. Well, he, he succeeded. He succeeded. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> campaign success. Well, let's talk about what didn't pass, because that was almost as big of a story as what did, because most of the big ticket items were off the agenda. Um, and you mentioned rural transit. You mentioned the airport takeover bill and also the Delta tax break. All three of those pieces of legislation were all bound up at the very end of the session in what we called the Franken bill. It was an amalgam- a monstrous amalgamation of, of transportation-related bills. And usually when you see that happen, it's not necessarily a great sign, and this time it wasn't either. They all ended up failing. Right, right. Uh, the, the, the Franken bill was sent back to the Senate, and the Senate disagreed, and that was kind of the, the end of the, the debate over the airport takeover. Uh, the House had, had, had uh, proposed a, an oversight committee, something less intrusive. And uh, but uh, from what I'm told, it's uh, Bert Jones, uh, the the senator who 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 uh, made the pitch for the takeover, uh, refused to deal on that, which means that's going to come back in an election year in 2020, and uh, it's it's that's going to be a, a very very interesting thing that I think you're going to see every rural lawmaker, every rural Republican in Georgia campaign on. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you had a, you had a really interesting dynamic because in the Senate. They, the senators, Senate Republicans really wanted a strong state takeover of the airport and did not want any long-term Delta tax break, jet fuel tax break that would benefit Delta. Um, and and the, the two were tied together. The two were tied together. And the House, House lawmakers did want that long, longer-term jet fuel tax break but wanted a weaker oversight of the airport. And they just couldn't reach an agreement. And you wrote in a column that posted on Friday about what the Delta tax break what the failure of the jet fuel tax break 
says about the Georgia political climate. Right, right. What you had was you had Governor Kemp on, on sunny die uh, that morning. He, 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 he personally went before the Senate Republican Caucus and said, I don't care about the airport. I don't care about the, the, the rural transportation bill, but you have to give me the, the Delta tax break. Uh, which would have uh, given uh, Delta, a, 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 in its original form, a, a half a penny a sales tax break over 20 years. It was worth about $40 million a year. Right. So right. no small change. No, no, no. That's uh, uh, Fuel is Delta's second biggest expense. Mm-hmm. And the governors, the, the, the Republican senators, members of the governor's own party, simply refused him. They just shut him down completely. Uh, he did not even, he was not able to get uh, even enough Republican votes to form an alliance with, uh, with the, the, uh, the 21 Democrats that, that are in the Senate. And Democrats made a really interesting case after the final gavel uh, hammered down about how they're trying to position themselves as the party of business that Republicans used to, you know, put a feather in their cap saying they were they were the pro-business party. Well, now Democrats are the ones saying they are going to champion these sort of tax breaks to help Atlanta's largest, the state's largest private employer, which is Delta. Right, right, and and you can see you can see something in the future building, uh, and that is. And and this may be something that we, we need to explore more later. But but after 2020, we could have a situation where you have co-government in Georgia, uh, especially especially you know most probably in the House, but maybe even in the Senate. Yeah, Democrats are about 15 seats shy in the House. Um, there's a few vacancies, but 15 seats shy in the House. And there's a strong belief among even some Republicans that they'll pick up six or seven seats regardless in a general election year with, with some in, endangered um, in, incumbents in the suburbs. Right. But now with, and now, and, and we haven't talked about it yet, but, but with House Bill uh, 481, the anti-abortion heart, uh, the heartbeat bill, uh, that, that likelihood becomes a little bit stronger, I think. Even Republicans will admit. And that's why Alyssa Milano was, was there at the Capitol on Sunday night. And she made the argument that, um, that Hollywood should boycott Georgia if that heartbeat bill is signed into law, which it will be, Governor Kemp has made no—he has made no bones about it. This will definitely be signed into law, and the ACLU will immediately take it to a federal judge who will stop it. Yeah, so it's bound to be tied up in, in litigation. And what the what a Milano and, and and other she was joined by by several film industry workers, workers, or, yeah, you know. no, no executives, but workers mm-hmm. who said the same thing. They're worried about their livelihoods being impacted by this bill. So far, though, we have not seen any studio executives, Hollywood chieftains, anyone, from or, the, or 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 union union officers. Yep, say that, and or state democratic lawmakers. And you mentioned that I was about to bring that up. You mentioned that you you focused on that in one of your columns from the last week, right? That that. that 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 uh, that rally that uh, Milano ha- ha- held, uh, I think there was one Democrat in the uh, in in the crowd of uh, uh, Park Cannon, and then and she just melted yeah, away very very quickly. She, it, so so the only the only the only the only state employees that were around were uh, were uh, uh, from from Brian Kemp's office. They were just kind of eavesdropping. Yeah. But but you, if you're a Democrat in the state capitol, which which you've got to remember is that the film industry is one of these bright spots in union membership. Uh, in in Georgia, which is a right to work state, uh, but the uh, the 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 union Yahtzee, which is the theatrical stage employees uh, union, has 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 popped up from I think from from 
uh, in 2015, they had maybe 300 members, and they've got 5,000 now. Wow. And it's very much like the, like the situation over at Plant Vogel, where you had 7,000 IBEW workers, depending on continued construction there. It's a very uh, tricky situation for, for Democrats. We've seen Stacey Abrams try to straddle that line, too. She's she's wondered aloud, uh, said she was bewildered by the fact that that not just the film industry, but corporate powers were not coming out against this heartbeat bill. But at the same time, she also doesn't want to be blamed for a, a massive boycott that could hurt tens of thousands of, of, of Georgia employees um, if, if Kemp or when Kemp does sign this into law. So it's a very interesting situation that's un, uh, unfolding. I asked Governor Kemp about that, and he flatly said, listen, I'm not going to take my orders from Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, but but he he, he might want to listen to to Sharon Cooper over in East Cobb. Uh, she's the House uh, Chairman of the House uh, Health and Human Services Committee. On Friday, when the final vote on that uh, on the HB four eighty one, she voted against it. And then uh, another uh, another uh, uh, Republican woman, Kay Kirkpatrick, over in the Senate. She's a a, a an orthopedic surgeon by profession. Uh, she said she would have voted against it too, but she was called out on, on a funeral. So you've got you've got this swath of Republican lawmakers in North Fulton, uh, North Fulton, in 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 Cobb County, and in in DeKalb and Gwinnett, who are highly highly agitated and worried that they that they may be swept out of office in eighteen months. And the, the the telling moment for me about that was they're in a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation because even those you just mentioned who voted against it. Sharon Cooper, Chuck Martin, uh, Deborah Silcox, right. Kay Kilpatrick, all these people who either voted against it or said they opposed it, right after that vote, right after it got final passage and was sent to Governor Kemp's office, state Democrats sent out a blue initiative of all the targeted legislative seats that they're going to be spending the most mo- time, resources, and effort on um, over the next year before the November 20 election. And all those names were still on the list. So it didn't matter that they voted against it. They're still in vulnerable districts, and, and they might be losing their seats next year, depending on how everything goes. Right. And, and, and you found many, uh, many Republican lawmakers simply paralyzed over it. There were uh, that the, la- the final vote in the House, which occurred in the House, there were, there were eight lawmakers who did not vote, whether excused or simply didn't press their buttons. Uh, seven were, were Republican. All were men. Our men, and some were in competitive areas, some were in not so competitive areas, um, like rural Georgia. One was from Buckhead, Georgia, not the not the Tony right, suburb, right. But, mm-hmm. but was we and he's were, been very consistent about not voting. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That was Dave Belton we we're mentioning. Um, let's talk a little bit about Governor Kemp too, because we mentioned he he's putting his his capital directly on the line, his political capital directly on the line for a lot of bills. He was intervening in a way that we hadn't seen Governor Deal do really since his his first term. A lot of bills, and many of them succeeded, like the heartbeat bill, like the like the waiver bill, um, like the elections overhaul. And some, as you mentioned, did not. Uh, not just the Delta tax break, but also the school voucher bill that would that would shift public money to uh, to private schools. Right, right. It was, it was. Uh, it, you you could tell this this session was a learning experience for him. I mean, I mean, I mean. What you have to remember about Kemp is that I think he spent maybe 
two or three terms in the Senate, but that was several years ago. Uh, since then, he'd he's been he he had been Secretary of State. He's been an executive post, yeah, in a, in an executive post, but which one which takes you out of the the kind of the 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 hardcore negotiations that occur between the legislature and a governor. So, uh, yeah, you, you mentioned the Harpy Bill, which he supported eventually, but you got to remember he came up with his own version of an anti-abortion bill himself, which he had to abandon. Yeah, there's a book to be written about about how that all evolved. But you're right. He he backed a trigger bill that was very that was much weaker than the heartbeat bill. It essentially said that there would be another vote on abortion if Roe v. Wade was overturned. And he backed he he said he was supportive of the heartbeat bill all along, but he backed the trigger bill because it looked like it wasn't going to be get get out of it was going to be bottled up in a committee. The moment it was allowed for a committee vote, they tabled the trigger bill and he immediately uh, started supporting the heartbeat bill more more uh, forcefully and had right, an interview right. with the AJC about it. And, you know, what's really interesting about that, too, is sh- right after that interview, Jeff Duncan came out in support of the heartbeat bill as well. They've had this unique alliance forming. They're both... They're both this, green. They're, they're both yep. green in their jobs. Yeah. yeah, they both are having that learning experience, kind of testing their, their limits. And they both kind of forged an alliance um, kind of around David, David Ralston, House Speaker David Ralston's back. Right, right, and 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 Duncan had his own problems. Of course, uh, uh, he started he he started uh, uh, the the session blindsided by a few changes in Senate rules, which uh, which uh, uh, went to sexual harassment and uh, really tightened down on on any complaints that you could uh, that could be made. That they were they were loosened in the final days uh, by the by the chamber after a great deal of negotiation between Republicans and Democrats. I did not I did not see him step out on any specific bill in a way that changed the course of any legislation did you he he was a forceful advocate for that voucher bill and um it did not pass um but he and two kemp, tries two tries two tries yeah he and kemp were both um were, were both advocating behind the scenes for that but you're right he did not um take a firm stance on some other big bills um, he he backed the Senate's position on the airport takeover, let it come to a vote, um, but but did not you know risk a lot of his political capital on that. I, I think you're right, but saying this was truly a learning experience for his his first uh, term in office, his first session. Let's talk too about one more big breaking development that has nothing to do with the legislative session, but it will have everything to do about 2020. And on Friday, we learned that former Columbus Mayor Teresa Tomlinson has filed exploratory paperwork to run for Senate. We've long known that she was very interested in the Senate race, but that race has kind of been frozen as Stacey Abrams decides whether or not to run for Senate, for governor, for the White House, for who knows. Um, Well, Teresa sounded like she was tired of waiting and she needed to start her preparations to run. Well, two, two things happened. Number one, uh, you're right, it was a matter of logistics because she, she's, she's assembled a staff, but she can't pay the staff and she can't raise money to pay the staff uh, unless she she uh, formed a, an exploratory committee, mm-hmm. which she has now done, and 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 she does does say that her candidacy for the U.S. Senate is contingent on what Abrams does. But also, you have Abrams, who is, has been on a a a a, a wicked, gru- brutal uh, book tour. Uh, making stop after stop in front of TV cameras. And she is kind of, uh, she was on um, MSNBC's Morning Joe, and they were talking about, of course, the the, pres- uh, the talk that she might run for president. And she said that she she was giving herself until September 
to make that decision. And that was a that was you know that all sorts of alarms went off in, mm-hmm. in, in D.C. because you cannot you cannot raise enough money for a U.S. Senate race if you wait for, until uh, September for your decision. So, but when when she said that she was going to uh, going to uh, uh, keep to keep thinking about the president's uh, presidential race until September. She was saying that she's not running for U.S. Senate. Pretty much. That's that's. I was about to kind of make the same point. And that's what Georgia Democrats have thought for a long time. They think it's very unlikely she's running for Senate. Um, but she still will make her formal decision this month and set it up. It seems like, look, if you're if you're in the middle of a book tour, and her book has now risen to the almost the top of the charts of the paperback New York Times bestseller, if you're in the middle of a book tour, it does you no good to say you're not going to run for president because it helps heighten the media attention, the intrigue, the publicity, all that, if you are. I'm not saying she's not going to run for president, but it does seem more and more uh, likely that she is not running for the U.S. Senate. Right. And you have, uh, in, ad- in addition to Teresa Tomlinson, you have a number of other people who are interested. Uh, Sarah Riggs Amico, the, the, the former lieutenant governor uh, candidate, uh, I, I think she's, she's contemplating the same thing. So you're bound to see a, a, number, a number of exploratory committees uh, start up in the next few days. I agree. I mean, <clears throat> Michelle Nunn's name, she ran for, in 2014. 2016, right. I should say. No, 2014. 2014. I get all my years mixed up. 2014. Um, she's said to be looking at another another run, perhaps. And John Ossoff, um, who is the former sixth district candidate who raised a record smashing amount of money in that special election against Karen Handel, um, he was over with uh, Kamala Harris, the presidential contender, and he he introduced her and, and got got a a, a really uh, big ovation. That I think um, even took some of his his allies aback that that he was still that uh, he still had that big of a name recognition. Yeah, it's it's what's what's interesting though is that uh, one of my one of one of one of our flags is is who sits down with Chuck Schumer, the Senate Minority Leader up in D.C. Of, from New York. He's kind of the can, candidate recruitment officer, if you will. And uh, so far, uh, Abrams and Tomlinson are the only ones that I know of who have sat down with with. With, with with him. Good point. And I asked Tomlinson about that the other day, and she said, um, "Look, Schumer and the Senate Democrats have given Abrams their blessing, and and she has my blessing too. But I need to be prepared in case." And so what what she did in that Washington meeting was she basically got vetted by um, by, by by Senate Democrats. They they learned right. about her strategy, her team, all her plans going forward. Right, right. And and what you have here is a situation where. Where if 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 Democrats are to take control of the Senate in 2020, uh, that path pretty much has to go through Georgia. David Perdue has to be uh, uh, the, the the Republican incumbent has to be has to be beaten, and, uh, and that's going to be tough. And taking that one step further, Democrats and Republicans, at least here, are also say that if if Democrats are going to win the White House, that path could also well come through Georgia. And so having a strong Democratic contender in the U.S. Senate race. Um, could only help Democrats get get their turn on hire. Right, right. Well, Jim, thank you again for joining us. It has been quite the last week, and we will be following all the news in the weeks to come. We'll see you later. See ya. Well, that's all for this week's edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Head to AJC.com forward slash politics to subscribe to Politically Georgia. You'll get access to our daily newsletter, along with all of our stories and updates on all things Georgia politics. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and rate us. It really means a lot to us when you do. And as always, thank you for listening. 
Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. 